Uh, I am good to go when y'all are. Okay. Hello, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. It is June 22nd. I'm Kai Rosenthal. Thanks for joining us. Today we are going to do some news, then we're going to do the smile thing, uh, and then we will move briskly on about our day. So uh, we'll do some news. Ms. Adams, why don't you go first? Yes, indeed. So um, there's been a lot of great reporting coming out around the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision at the Supreme Court, which, you know, as everyone probably knows, overturned Roe versus Wade. And the 19th has been just spot on on so much of its coverage over the last week, uh, last year, sorry, the last year about Mm. the fallout of this decision. And they have a piece about um, abortion bans and gender-affirming care bans in different parts of the country and how it's doing, these these bans are doing exactly what people in the medical profession predicted would would, would happen, which is that it's making doctors leave the states Mm -hmm. and communities and bringing fewer medical medical students willing to do residencies, fewer medical students applying to jobs there or applying to college there. And they've got some really interesting statistics. I'm going to read some of them. Starting in 2022, months after the states, this is Texas, by the way, the state's six-week, six-week abortion ban took effect. The number of medical students applying to Texas-based OBGYN residencies fell by 10.4%. Mm. Uh, the trend mm. has continued. In 2023, Texas saw a 5.4% decrease in applicants to its medical residency programs with a six. 6.4% decrease for OBGYN specifically. Both of those are significantly larger decreases than the national average. Um, there's some really heartbreaking stories in this piece about, um, you know, people who've had very severe complications because of the lack of access to care. But uh, currently, this is from the piece also, Texas only has, um, in terms of the ratio of adolescent medicine providers to patients is much lower in Texas than the rest mm-hmm. of the country. This is related to the gender affirming care stuff. Currently, Texas has only 0.5 providers per every 100,000 potential wow. pediatric patients wow. in the entire state. For contrast, Massachusetts has 3.2 such providers per 100,000. 100,000 patients. So despite having less than a third of the number of people as Texas, Massachusetts is home to more adolescent medicine clinicians. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. The, it's, 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 That's wild. It's, this piece is great. You should read it. And uh, Shafali Lathra, uh, the health reporter over at the 19th, wrote it. And, you know, this was all predicted, literally, right when the decision yeah. came down. And um, it's having real-life consequences for people. Yeah, I would also say this all was predicted, but it's an object lesson in the law of unintended consequences, right? Because the Supreme Court, if you remember in that Dobbs decision, said we now return the question of abortion to the states. And what is happening is unequal uh, treatment. It is denial of services on an unequal basis. There's a lot of things that I don't think anybody thought was going to happen other than the big denial of service thing um, that are really bad, that are really bad. 
I mean, I feel like a lot of the um, pro-abortion advocates certainly predicted this yeah. and, and warned in – even in some of the briefs for the case were warning about this stuff potentially happening. And so like it was definitely predicted but just not as loudly. And I mean we talked about this before. I think so many of us just didn't seriously think that Roe would be overturned that yeah. um, may, yeah. probably didn't give it enough attention beforehand. Yeah. All right, what's yours? Uh, okay, so mine is, uh, sorry, I'm just gonna close the door because they're mowing the lawn next door. Um, anyway, mine is uh, a piece in the New York Times today, a big interactive piece and a, and a data journalism piece uh, from the New York Times, Anna Swanson and a bunch of uh, other staffers there on Indian oil imports. And I mentioned that, number one, because Prime Minister Modi is in town today, but number two, uh, we've talked a bunch of times on this podcast, uh, specifically back when the invasion first happened last year, about American and Western efforts to limit Russian oil flow and sales uh, into uh, the water world. Uh, and what we've seen since and what The New York Times uh, reports on in great depth and detail today is that what's happened is Indian oil, Chinese, sorry, Indian oil purchases, and to some degree Chinese as well, but this article is mostly about India. India is buying a ton of of Russian oil, right? Mm -hmm. And you say to yourself, well, that's bad. We don't want the Russians to be able to sell their oil. But what is happening is twofold. Number one, the Russians aren't getting the price they used to for their oil. So they are getting less revenue, which is a good thing, and which is what the Western allies wanted when they put sanctions on. But number two, and this is a little counterintuitive, but let's remember that oil is a global market. What the West wanted to do was punish the Russians to some degree, but also to keep Russian oil flowing because we need Russian oil globally, right? We use basically mm -hmm. every drop of oil that we produce every day. We use that up in this economy. So if we had taken Russian oil completely out of circulation, it would have mean, meant higher prices for the rest of the world, economic shock, and you can see where that's going. So what has happened is that as a result of Western sanctions, the Indians are buying more oil from the Russians, which okay, fine, but the Russians are getting less money for it. And that Russian oil is displacing Middle Eastern oil that the Indians would have otherwise bought and thus used up that global share. So it's a really interesting piece. It's a little bit of a connect the dots thing, but the Western sanctions, I think you can argue, are kind of working. They're kind of doing what they were supposed to do or what people wanted them to do. And that's, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And India is getting a good deal on oil out of it. Like they're oh, able to yeah. buy that oil so much cheaper. And so much cheaper. I imagine that's helpful for their economic growth, um, even if mm -hmm. it's fueling um, literally totally. the war in Ukraine. I did not mean to make that a pun. Um, yes. Fair enough. Yes. Anyway, it was interesting. interesting. Uh, today in, in the press conference, you know, people were asking about this. And, you know, it. The Biden said that it came up. And, uh, you know, this idea that – and this was in some of the reporting elsewhere – this idea that the U.S. can't press India too hard on this issue mm -hmm. or human rights for that matter because – they really need, we really need India's cooperation on China because the U.S. Mm -hmm. and India are pretty aligned in being concerned about the threat of Chinese influence and China's role in that region. And so the U.S. can't really say that much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they could. Totally. They won't. But they, but they anyway. can't, right? Yeah. Anyway, Drew, let's go. Okay. 
Okay, since I just gave all those horrible statistics from Texas, I wanted to bring a fun story or a good story, a positive story out of Texas, which comes by way of Spectrum News One, uh, or at least that's where I found it. It's I'm sure it's one of it's Spectrum News broadly nationally, but anyway, uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. There is a guy in Texas, uh, Moses West, who is founder of a company called Atmospheric Water Generator Contracting LLC who has basically created these machines that turn air into drinking water, which it's effectively wow. what a dehumidifier does. Like, you know how you have a dehumidifier oh, sure, sure, and it yeah. collects water um, from the air to make your house, you know, less humid. But then mm-hmm. you usually just like throw it out, water your plants with it, whatever. But he's created these systems that then run that water pulled from the air through a filtration system and, you know, distributes water. And he's set these up, you know, helping Hurricane Maria victims in Puerto Rico's. He's planning to install them for folks in Flint, Michigan. Um, Let's see where else. And they're manufactured in Wisconsin. And it says just one of these units provides a city with hundreds of gallons of water at no cost to residents. And he's been working with a group called the Water Rescue Foundation to cover the cost. And, you know, uh, according to the video that's with it, he was saying that it doesn't really take that much energy. And these can be set up, you know, all over the world. They basically look like um, long, like shipping containers and Mm -hmm. got a little spout Mm -hmm. on the side. It's pretty cool. So that made me smile. It's kind of interesting. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, okay, yeah. mine is is a little little dorky, a little geeky, but it follows the news of the day, which if you listen to Marketplace today, you will have heard me talk about central banks raising interest rates all over the world today. Uh, the Norwegian Central Bank, the Bank of England, uh, the Central Bank of Switzerland, and also the Turkish Central Bank. And I'm making this uh, my make me smile for two reasons. Number one, it appears that some kind of economic sanity has returned to Turkey because for a long time, <laughs> a very long time, under the prior central bank governor, uh, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan was cutting interest rates in the face of inflation that is, as of today, at 39%. And if you know anything about interest rates and inflation, you know that cutting interest rates in the face of inflation at 40% is a recipe for disaster. And in point of fact, that's what happened because inflation goes up, people have less purchasing power, and there is a, a burgeoning economic crisis in Turkey. So there's that. So the Turkish Central Bank today raised its interest rate from 8.5% to 15%, just about doubling. So number one, that's That's dorky and interesting just in a straight up economic sense. But here's why they did it. They have a new central bank governor. Her name is Hafiz Gay Erkan. She is a Princeton trained expert in financial risk management and a former person at First Republic and Goldman Sachs. So now they have an honest to God person who knows what's going on in the Turkish economy in charge of the central bank. And that's a good thing. And it made me smile because Turkey, for as much of a pain in the patootie as it can be to the United States and other Western allies, is really important. It's geostrategically critical. It's a member of NATO. Thank you. Hello. Mm -hmm. Article 5, an attack on one is an attack on all. So it's really a critical country that that honestly kind of gets short shrift. And it's good to see that there's some economic stability and common sense returning. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I'm just visualizing her sort of going into Erdogan's office with like poster boards with like graphs and things like they used to do with Trump where they had to like put things on one pagers or on big charts to like get him to agree to stuff. And I wonder if she had to do something like that. Like, (laughs) let me draw it out for you. (laughs) We're screwed. Yep. Yep. 
Okay. Absolutely. Totally. Anyway, that is it for us for today. I will be back tomorrow with Megan McCarty Carino for Economics on Tap. Please join us. We will be live streaming on YouTube starting at 3.30 Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. And if you want to find out what the team is reading and drinking this week, sign up for the Make Me Smart newsletter out every Friday morning. You can find it and all the other Marketplace newsletters, marketplace.org slash newsletters. That's where we go with that. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's episode was engineered by Drew Jostad. Ellen Rolfus writes that newsletter we were just talking about. And our intern is Nilush Shabandi. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of the digital and on-demand enterprise here at Marketplace. <laughs> enterprise is. So many enterprises.